Hello, hello, and welcome to episode four of season two of DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and on this episode, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite records of all time, and that is The Opposite of December, A Season of Separation by Poison the Well. And although it may not be my favorite Poison the Well album of all time, it is probably one of the best records of all time. And so to talk about a record like this, I called up one of my favorite people of all time. And that is Brandon Kellum of the band American Standards. American Standards has a new EP out right now called Dopamine Dealer. And it is some of the best, most pissed off fire and brimstone type of hardcore that I've heard in a long time. And it gives me an old school feeling that still sounds fresh and aggressive. And you may be surprised if you've ever heard American Standards that Brandon is actually a pretty chill dude. He he has big feelings and he thinks big thoughts, but he's a, he's a gentle, gentle soul, and I love talking to him on podcasts. So I thought it would be great to pull Brandon in on this one. So let's get into my conversation with Brandon about The Opposite of December, A Season of Separation by Poison the Well. It begins... One of my favorite shows to date, man. Yeah, it was cool. There were so many kids there, like way more than I. There were way more kids there than I anticipated. It was because so I damn like sweaty in that living room, right? Oh my god, it was so sweaty. I remember we, yeah, we hung out. And we went and got tacos. I remember we did that. We're like, where's a good place? And because I remember you're like, where's a good place to get tacos around here? And I was like, dude, I, I have no idea. I drove five, you know, I drove like four hours, five hours. I think you drove um, uh, farther than uh, we did for that stop. Maybe, maybe, yeah. It was uh, that was a lot of fun. I also just made up the word "drove" as a past tense for "drove" or or "drive." I guess we had driven in the past tense. It's crazy to me how like those sort of things happen, and where we're kind of ending up now, where we're kind of coming, where where it's kind of coming down as far as um, you know, you guys are dropping. We're winding down, man. Yeah, you guys are winding down. There's no other way. I was like, how do I find a really nice way of saying this yeah, we're, uh, we're or without sounding dis- disappointed or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. We're uh, gracefully bowing down and basically just saying, okay, we can easily let this fade away, but let, let's go out with a bang. And then, like I said, it, it's not goodbye. It's just, you know, we won't see yeah. you as often. <laughs> For sure. Well, I can see you anytime I want to, as, yeah, long, exactly. as, as just, long as you pick up the phone. Yeah. Invite, up, invite me on a podcast. I'll be there, man. <laughs> Well, and tonight's podcast is essentially, it's a record that I've been wanting to do a solo episode for forever, but I mean, you've probably heard some of my solo episodes and they're, um, they're always like really, really serious. Yeah, very <laughs> you know? existential, man. Yeah. Very um, much like it all started back in kindergarten <laughs> when right. the teacher skipped me and went to the kid beyond me and... <laughs> And then whenever I started listening to Candiria, yeah, you know, um, but you know, with Poison the Well, I don't necessarily have that that super deep connection. You know, I didn't get a I didn't yeah. get a job promotion the day I bought you know the opposite of December, and I certainly 
uh, didn't even get. I mean, I wasn't there back in the day, right? I think that's something that when I listen to other podcasts, they're always talking about like, yeah, I was there the day it came out, 1999, baby. I listened to this and it changed, you know, metal forever or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. But for me, it was more of just like, I don't know. I heard, um, what was that song that they played on the radio all the time? Or not the radio, but like internet like, oh, radio. They're playing, they're playing uh, Nerdy on the radio there <laughs> where you're at, man. No, no I, I probably heard Poison the Well for the first time in, I think, probably 2003. Okay, yeah. Something along those lines. It was the album You Come Before You. Yeah. I feel and... like that's the one that really stuck with everybody. Although, if you go on Spotify, somehow Opposite of December is still the number one album up there. That's the classic, you know, yeah. and so, yeah, whereas I don't, you know, necessarily have those, I thought it would be fun for us to talk about it because I know you are a fan as well. This is just kind of one of those records that is, if we were making our own college course, you know, for introduction to metalcore, this would be like an essential oh, <laughs> yeah. experience that everybody would have to hear. Up there with Converge and all those other greats, you know? Yep. It's, I'm, I was treating you, I was going to treat you as like the, the metal historian as you typically are. And I was hoping to learn some from you on this episode because oh, no. there's a listening to, uh, or like, you know, listening back to this, I realized there's a lot I don't know about Poison the Well and, and a lot, even though this is, I would put this in any top 10 heavy, you know, list of heavy music, top 10 for me, Poison the Well is always going to be on it. And particularly this album, um, but I realized there's just so much I didn't know because at that time, like growing up, like I did, I, I didn't have internet until I was like well out of high school and, you know, had my own apartment and all that. So it wasn't something I can just look it up and say, okay, you know, they had two singers to start and the second album, they don't even have the, any of those singers anymore, save for one track that they came back on. I, I didn't know that back then. Yeah. Um, I didn't know the progression of the band and how they went through like five or six bass players. Like, that's just stuff that while I was living through it, we didn't have the internet or fingertips as easily. We we're going to the library, you know, to use the internet or if Best right. Buy left their computer unlocked, we we're logging on to MySpace or something. So um, I guess I just never took the time, uh, you know, now in my adult life to go back and look at some of that stuff until now. So it was, it was super interesting, but there's still a lot of questions that seem pretty vague because I'm assuming a lot of people that were listening to it back then were probably in the same boat as me. So. It's uh, there's a lot of questions I had. I was hoping you would answer, Dan. And by God, we're going to get to the end of it or, or down to the bottom of it at the end of this podcast. I think we will. I think we will. I, th it's interesting with Poison the Well because I heard them later as I typically do, and then I went back and bought, you know, all of their old stuff. You know, you hear you hear one record right, and it's forty minutes, and you love it, and then you're like, okay, what else these guys got, right? Yeah. And that's that's kind of how I came across the opposite of December because I remember I read a lot of Amazon reviews for it. Like, okay. that used to be a thing. Like, yeah. you know, Amazon obviously is still a huge juggernaut now, but back in the early 2000s, it was kind of a place where you bought books and CDs. Yeah. Right? And you, had, and you had to read that review before you invested your 25 bucks into a CD that you forced Absolutely. yourself to like, you know? Oh, we'll get to that because these – I remember reading all of the reviews from people saying, like, all-time classic and just some of the weirdest descriptions yeah. of music, right? Because you got to think, even in 2002, we weren't really throwing words around like metalcore, right? 
everything was like, hardcore back then. It was yeah, metal hardcore. or it was hardcore, you know? Yeah. And so this idea of like metalcore and then like, I remember I, I would call it, I used to be like, yeah, it's like hardcore with like emo singing, yeah. you know? Uh, and people are just like, I, I don't know what any of that stuff is. And then a few years later, now you use those terms. Everybody's like, yes, okay, I can date this back exactly to where, you know, this came out. But I remember people saying it was like death metal guitars, which is not really like objectively true. Um, to like Chevelle or something, I suppose, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And people talking about the screaming and, you know, how, how intense it was and, and all of that. And so I was like, all right, well, this this seems like something that I want. But I didn't order it on Amazon because I didn't have a credit card. And I was in high school. So uh, I remember just I had my friend Buddy take me up to the CD store. Uh, we had a little place called CD Outlet. and um, But, I mean, it was like your classic, like, early 2000s. CD store. So I remember picking up the opposite of December and I picked up tear from the red the same day. Okay. Uh, You know, it's just like, go to the store, buy anything that says poison the well on it. Right. Like, and, um, each one of these CDs was 1999 each. Ooh, you saved up some allowance for those CDs. I did. (laughs) Did you have a job at this point to pay for it? I would (laughs) have, I want to say I had a part-time job. At H and R Block, believe it or not, that okay. my first job was actually answering phones at H and R Block. So you know, I like probably as a teenager. Oh, you're answering phones. Okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. mature. Yeah, trust me, I'd I'd be in a much nicer pad if that were the if that were the case. But um, yeah, it was it was weird buying like spending that much because even back then, 1999 was a little bit like, whoa, dude. Okay. You know, why would you charge that much for these? And they were in like the you remember the old uh the old like Walmart or Kmart like albums oh, yeah. like security. <laughs> well like the yeah, like the security um the security the sleeves. Yeah, yeah, it's got like a big it's like the big rectangle handle and everything and they have a it's special like when you machine. go to a weird gas station and they give you a baseball bat so you don't steal the keys. Yep. <laughs> well it's funny because the guy that um I, I think it was it was I think it was me and Buddy and maybe Joe, we were at, we went up to CD Outlet, or, you know, yeah, CD Outlet. I keep getting a mix up with CD Warehouse, which is still around, and I still frequent there pretty often. But, um, You're keeping them afloat. I remember, uh, it was like an inconvenience. It's like a core memory unlocked. It was like an inconvenience. Like, they, we didn't have time for me to be there. Uh, and I was like, no, we have to, we have to go up there. Cause I didn't start driving until I was 18. Um, which I just revealed, I think, on last week's episode. I was like, yeah, I didn't start driving until a couple oh, years man. after most people did. Oh, I guess 16 is the age, right? right. Yeah, 16. Right, so I didn't start, I didn't start <laughs> yeah. driving until I had to, you know? Yeah, fair, fair. And it was like an inconvenience. And I remember the guy, there was a guy um, who, he was the bass player in our band, uh, Jelly Donut. He was like kind of like who are these guys and i was like oh it's poison the well they're like so cool and he's like well i've never heard of them <laughs> and i was just like okay cool cool man like but i i have and i bought the he's like yeah i don't know man it's just you I you just listen to all these bands that, this. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's well i mean his his favorite band was the foo fighters okay you know okay. Yeah. And so we always had that battle, and I'm sure you can relate to this, where, like, you're in a band and you're, like, trying to make the kind of music that, like, you're really into, but 
for whatever reason, you can never get anybody that like sees it the way that you do, or you're yeah. just like sort sort of so strapped for people that are willing to show up and practice and do the band thing that you're, you're willing you can to wear accept. Them down by easing them into the, your music. <laughs> so like, oh yeah, you yeah. can't go from Foo Fighters to Poison the Wall. There's a couple steps in between, you know. One hundred percent. And so, yeah, I got this record. I took it home, and I so I had this one interior from the red, which I liked. I want to say pretty much equally, and sometimes it's hard for me to separate the two as separate yeah. albums. You know, I mean, they each have their own vibe. I was but... curious what you were going to land on because if you didn't start with Opposite of December, I could see you very much being in the camp of like, this is the first album I listened to. This is what I like. You know, as <laughs> a lot of us were back then. Yeah. 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 Totally. Uh, I mean, I have a very special place for you come before you, you know, um, I think that might be a personal favorite, but with this album, I think the thing that struck me even back then, and we're talking like, I, so I probably bought this CD maybe what, five years for three to five years after it came out because tear from the red only came out like a year before, um, yeah. you come before you and I remember even back then thinking that this sounded like really, it sounded a lot like the bands I was listening to at the time. Like I was really into a band called Beloved oh, yeah. uh, that reminded me a lot of Poison the Well and like stuff like Dead Poetic was like kind of similar. And, but I remember like looking at the actual, cause I, I still do this to this day. The first thing I do, I'll flip a CD or over and look at the back and see what the copyright date is. And, um, you know, knowing that this came out in 1999, but it sounded like brand new bands that were out in like 2003, 2004. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So then, then I got a little bit of my like sort of gatekeepy elitist mindset where I was like, oh yeah, Poison the Well, these guys were doing it before anybody, you know? <laughs> well, you were probably still listening to Zayo back then. I assume you were listening to Zayo out the womb, Dan. <laughs> uh, no, actually. Um, I didn't hear Zayo. I've told the story a billion times. I heard Zayo after a breakup that took place. I can't remember if it was, I think it was between my junior and senior years of high school. It was the first time I heard Zayo. Okay. So uh, and it was like 2003 ish, four? 2002 ish, 2003 ish, something okay. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like right before, it was a little bit before Funeral God came out. I think like Parade of Chaos had just come out. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, uh, well, yeah, and of course, I always thought Zayo were innovative. You know, you look at, you go back, you're like, oh yeah, '98. But I mean, this is also, in a lot of ways, part of that same wave, right? Uh, of these bands that were doing, doing this this kind of mixture of like hardcore and metal, but then also adding in like the singing and the emotion and like you know all of the yeah. stuff that would go on to basically be what we would call like MySpace metal. <laughs> you know, all those years later. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised. There's there's very rare uh, times that I listen to the podcast, and there's something that I would know or would have listened to before you had Dan. And I, I will take the opportunity to say I knew a little bit before um, 2003 about Poison the Well, um, not but definitely not on the cusp of when it came out in '98. It was a uh, like I mean I think we went to high school around the same time, so 2000 to 2004 for me. Um, very much into new metal, you know, the end of the 90s, early 2000s. And I, uh, you know, trying to start bands, we met some guy through probably like a guitar center, like, you know, post on a wall, like I want to be in a metal band or something like that, you know. And, and he came with like some thrift store clothes and like some bowling t-shirt or bowling shoes that he stole from, you know, the bowling alley uh -huh. and just 
hip as hell, you know, and he knew about all the cool stuff that we had never heard of. And he, the first thing he introduced me to was Zayo. And this is probably 2000, 2001, probably 2001. So you and heard then, Zayo before me. And that's insane to me because you are the, basically, I think you own most of the stock in Zayo at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll have to double check with them, but I think I own about 75, 75% of the Zayo stock. That's why you're point. always pushing them. You use promo code Dan at checkout. But, right. but Zayo was the only thing below that mainstream that I had really dug into at that point. Like I was listening to like System of a Down and, and you know, Deftones and Slipknot. And then he introduced me to Zayo and, and that was very much his band. Like I, I've always loved Zayo, but like if it wasn't for him, I would have never came across Zayo. Sure. Uh, Poison a Well, I stumbled upon quickly after that because I got the uh, Hellfest uh, cassette on cassette. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like Hellfest 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. And, um, and on that it had poison the well, it had every time I die, Nora, a bunch of other bands, but that's the first time that I had heard, um, poison the well. And after that, I just nerded out, man. I immediately got opposite of December. Um, and, and, you know, got a poison the well t-shirt that I think I wore every single day to school, <laughs> like yeah. all throughout high school was wearing that poison the well t-shirt, like heavy rotation. Um, but they were like my first thing that wasn't something that someone had directly showed me. It's just like, I got this, you know, VHS, VHS, I saw this band, I'm going to go buy that album. And, uh, yeah, I fell in love with the album immediately, man, because like you said, it was it felt like it had the punk drums, it had the heavy breakdowns. It wasn't horribly technical. Like it still felt like it felt it just felt real, you know. And his lyrics especially felt emotional and genuine and honest. Looking back now, and I'm sure we'll get into it. It's it's kind of interesting listening to it through this lens and and things like that. Um, but it, it just felt honest. And then when you hear him, especially when you hear him sing, like I, not not to say it's good or bad. It's all subjective, but he's not classically a great singer. It's just that very monotone, yeah. very dry, nasally thing. But I thought that was the coolest freaking thing, dude. That and like the talking that he does, uh, and the dropping out to just clean guitars all the time, like that became so foundational in the way that I was playing guitar because I first started off on guitar, and then when I started doing vocals, it's like we used to call it hardcore talking. It's like we need the part that has a hardcore talking, and you double it up in the studio and. Oh yeah. That's cool. For some reason just hits different, you know? Yeah. With both of us, you know, being guys that have sang in bands, it's very, it's interesting to hear us two specifically talking about this record because you and I have both done everything on this record. You know what I mean? Vocally. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. To, to mix results more for me. Um, cause you're, I mean, dude, these, these, He's going to be all coy and shy about it, but these new American Standard tracks, if you haven't been listening to them, uh, this is this is like some really unhinged, like pissed off fire, <laughs> like yeah. hardcore, and I love it. Um, always sure. have, and and to show my support, I actually have with me my American Standard uh -oh. uh, cozy uh, oh, that nice. my my wife burned this design into uh, a wooden uh, coaster for me. So uh, I'm gonna have to you send know. you a new uh, care package, dude. But, Maybe. Uh, enough about me this this album dude like like i said this album when it came to playing guitars like i when i first started playing in bands it's like i've we've got to drop down the clean guitars we've got yep. to have these just breakdowns or those open chugs but nothing like complicated like a lot of bands were doing these super complicated like breakdowns as like just straightforward like rippers you know and um 
And like I said, everything about this album is what I wanted to do. And then as I soon after that got into bands like Norma Jean and Me Without You, like those became the core of like what I'm still doing today. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, just from the first second of this record, where you you have the drum, the drums kick it off. You know what I mean? And then you just go to gouge out my eyes. You know, and you're like, okay, um, it immediately grabs your attention if you're anything teen, right? Yeah. Uh, the yeah. first time you hear it, uh, because it's just how we feel. <laughs> it's just how I felt at the time, man. Um, but yeah, this this record really. I mean, this first song, and I, I have no idea what the significance of twelve twenty three. You know, ninety. That was one of my first questions. Was that's obviously not a birth date based on they would have been very young putting this album out. So what what is the significance of that? And that's knowing that this album is a lot about, um, or I assume is a lot about, you know, love and loss. Um, that seems still pretty early for it to be about anything significant directly to, you know, in that relation, like. I mean, what is he, eight years old or something at that point, I'm assuming? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I've ever really pulled from it is that maybe so somebody died Yeah. Uh, or committed. There are a lot know. of themes of suicide, I feel like, throughout the album. There are, and I and I never could really put my finger on whether or not it was just, you know, teenage dramatic, yeah. you know, uh, over amplification of, of certain feelings, you know? Because, I mean, I definitely felt stuff a lot harder back then than, you know, I do so much now. And, but you, you can really feel, and that's why I think it's a loss of some type because you can actually like really, really, really feel that sense of loss just within the song. And at the time when I, when I had most of the heavy music that I listened to at that time, with the exceptions of stuff like beloved or dead poetic, because of course I heard the Christian bands that sound like this first, right? Um, before that, before Christian hardcore became like the, the leaders of that genre for some strange reason. But with this song, um, in particular, just when I, it's so hard to put my finger on it because, and, and of course I'm going to probably like play a clip of it to explain what I'm saying. Um, a little bit better. It's got to be that but... dramatic, epic, like solo of it just says yell. I looked up to try to follow along with the lyrics to find out what he's yelling there. I can swear in the car I was yelling a word that I had no clue what it was, but that just pause and then him yelling is just like so epic, dude. Oh, I know. Just just hearing that vocal ring out, and yeah. like, it sounds like he's about to throw up, like his yeah. guts, you know, yeah. during that. It, but it's whatever reason I'm, I've always wondered what the production, what the goal was, like production wise on this record, because it sounds amazing in a way that it shouldn't. Yeah, you know, like because I'd heard I'd heard bands like that. Like if you go and listen to something like. Um, the remembering never the first remembering never album reminds me a lot of the opposite of december and i know it came out afterwards but it like sounds so much worse yeah. <laughs> somehow um and i so i always i was always expecting bands like this to have like more demo quality 
yeah i mean production. the drums on this album are phenomenal like the guitar tones are great and then the vocals it this may be me just like projecting but it sounds like they probably had been touring or playing a lot of shows around this time and he has that nice rasp on his throat like he's not losing his voice but it sounds like he's got some grit on it from yelling and mm. and i think if i remember that's probably on the wiki or something like they recorded it in a fairly short time frame like oh, a couple weeks if even that so they're cranking out nine songs in a couple weeks probably coming off the heels of some touring and you could feel the strain in his voice and they add so much more to that character which is what yeah. i've always loved because I, I don't know if you're going this route but i know when i did hear heavy band back then before i'd heard poison the well and maybe even before i heard zeo every heavy band was doing like a low guttural yell or a, yeah. a high-pitched screechy yeah. like this was just a guy yelling at the top of his lungs, you know? Yeah, it it reminds me of like kind of what the what the screamo scene was like, you know, that okay, yeah, had yeah. been coming up in the nineties, you know. Um, because when I listen to this, I have I have made the argument before, uh, incorrectly. Like I'm wrong. Like from a from a purely from a musical standpoint, this is this is metalcore, or at least what metalcore was gonna be for a while. Um as that that's a genre that i feel like is always sort of changing the goalposts you know on, yeah. on what it actually is but um i've back, had to go back and redefine a lot of things i grew up on as metalcore that i never called metalcore at the time yeah zeo but being I, one of them i absolutely was not calling zeo metalcore but now they're like the forefather of metalcore you know they're on the right yeah more of metalcore no what i remember from that time period though is i i was wrong saying that they were because i used to say that they were like more like a screamo band and okay. less like a like a metalcore type of band because Zayo after you know especially a few years later Zayo became sort of my reference point of like this is this is what metalcore is or like uh like old eighteen visions you yeah. know like before they went like more melodic um, it was it was it was always supposed to just be like cold abrasive and for whatever reason I felt like those bands weren't allowed to be melodic yeah and so when I would hear that melody. You know, uh, and my, my my argument, my smoking gun was always like, yeah, dude, right in the middle of the first song, you like there, there's like a break. He screams. It's really emotional. It's really melodic while still heavy. But then he starts singing and that, you know, back then yeah. to me, that's what made it emo. You know, I, um, I mean, I kind of think of that as like if you take like the most mainstream metal bands of that time and, and surprisingly still doing a band that you love, like Pantera, you know, or Metallica. Or, or Slayer, like someone knows that metal band and then you show them, let's say, Cannibal Corpse or Deicide, they're going to be like, yeah, that's metal, right? But then mm -hmm. you show them Poison the Well and they're going to hear the clean guitar and they're going to hear his like nasally singing and they're going to see these like love-ridden lyrics and it's like, nah, that's that's emo, you know? It, right. It, it, although it's just as heavy, it's not, I can see it not being as widely accepted by just the mainstream metal crowd yeah it doesn't have the it doesn't have the tough guy image you know because yeah. you know my favorite thing about pantera is the uh is the <laughs> yeah, tough right. guy image right <laughs> uh and so this doesn't have that that's a, this doesn't have the, yeah the lack of tough guy macho energy but also like kind of the potential you know you'd mentioned earlier that it's more 
or it's it's less complicated than bands like this would become you know yeah. because a few years later everybody was trying to throw as many guitar leads in everybody heard at the gates and suddenly yeah. it became you know Shredders, it became yeah. yeah everybody's like oh yeah we're gonna shred as the late dying comes out kill switch engage comes out and everybody's wanting to play solos and everything and have like classically trained clean singing and all of that yeah. Yeah. but the the appeal of something like opposite of december is that it wasn't crazy to sort of play that rock star fantasy in your head of like dude me and my friends might be able to like do this you know what yeah. i mean like we we might be able to pull this off you it, know yeah it felt more yeah it felt more realistic and like it's a genuine is the word i'll keep saying about this it just felt genuine you know and i, I mean i mentioned this like looking back on this now i look back at it with a different lens because I was young and in love and all that other stuff back then when I listened to this for the first time, I look back at this now and I almost think like, would Poison Well, if they came out like today as they did with Opposite of December, would they be considered like a scene band or like a MySpace or an emo band? When At that time when I first heard them uh, in like 2001 or so, I never really looked at them like that. But then when you look at the promos and when you look at the videos, you're like, this is no different than all the, the hot topic emo that was going on at the time in the visual perspective. But to me, it didn't feel that way. Like I felt so maybe because I was so engulfed in that I was living my space and you know, it was a, uh, it, it didn't feel disingenuine. Like a lot of those uh, scene bands used in the way that like some people would use it in a derogatory way, but the, the bands that just felt artificial, it didn't feel artificial. Like a lot of those other bands did, you know? Yeah, I mean, especially with the year it came out, you know, you can't accuse it of being trendy, yeah, right? And I'm so sure. they're also Maybe not Well, they're not flashy either. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not it's not the pink hair and the and the suits yeah. and the you, you know, and the and, and the swoop the hair. a little bit. They got the yeah. they got the girl jeans, but yeah, they it just felt more real for some reason. Yeah, it like almost sort of a like it was a real I think the difference between a record like this and a record that's influenced by this is that this was more of, I think, a genuine expression of a feeling. Yeah. And anything after that is just trying to recapture that feeling. And you, could, you can never recapture a feeling again. You know what I mean? Like, if, if Metallica, you know, sat down tomorrow and said, we're going to re-record Master of Puppets, you know, note for note, you know, it's not going to be the same. It might be okay. You know, at best, it'll be okay. You know, but at worst, people, oh, it's not the same. It doesn't evoke the same emotions uh, or, or any of that stuff. And I think with this, it was literally like they didn't sit down and write this record because they were going to reinvent metalcore. And for all we know, they might have just heard a band that sounded like this that none of us had ever heard before. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and that's that what Zeppelin we're hearing. Thing, some dude on the street playing the blues. You know, this is they very likely could have done that, but it, it felt like especially like i said in absence of having the internet everywhere and readily at your fingertips it just felt like this was like a band against the world in terms of like they were the underdogs and i was rooting for them you know yeah um, yeah 100 percent. and it does make me think too and i was like i feel like this is a thought for the end of the the podcast as opposed to like one song in but it does make me think something that you said is looking back at this especially from the vocalist perspective um assuming he wrote the majority of the lyrics does he does he look at this and like cringe from from the the amount of emotion on his sleeve uh does he look back at it fondly you know a lot of bands look at that seminal album as like 
you know, that's not me anymore. And I want to distance myself from it. And I almost wonder if when he looks at this, he's like, wow, I was dramatic as hell back then. <laughs> or if he looks back at it with the same fondness that I do, you know? It's hard. Yeah. I mean, odds are he probably doesn't, you know? Um, yeah. And it's funny because I, I had a friend that I recently reconnected with um, and her and her husband actually, they went on a road trip like a few weeks ago and they send me a, a text and they're like, Hey, we found our old CD booklet in our, in our car, you know? And the very first thing that she pulled out that, that they were listening to was the self-titled demo by jelly donut. <laughs> nice. Right. And I mean, at that moment I froze. And of course I'm not comparing my band's first demo to the opposite of December, but I, I would imagine, I would imagine the, the, the little feeling of like, Oh God, I can't believe they're listening to that. Yeah. would have to be amplified by like 10,000 if 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 that for whatever reason that demo had become some sort of cult favorite you know yeah. from people over the years so yeah they i never... think maybe some of it is yeah. i i i would imagine if he's anything like me that definitely exists there so and you know maybe one day i can ask him yeah i will i that'd be awesome i'd listen to that in a second oh no i'm, I'm bringing you with though, me i'm, I'm not just... going into that alone <laughs> This is a, a tangent, but on something you said there, and maybe this is a, keep it in or out, but like maybe it's just me, but I, I, I would get that same feeling if someone found my demo, like, uh, this is going to be cringy. Like, I hate this, but also such a fondness for it. Like, I'm sure like maybe that maybe it's just me, but I'm wondering if you feel the same, like that first jelly donut thing, like you might be like, this sonically does not sound great. And we were obviously wearing our influences on our sleeves. I still love it. You know, I love how new and fresh it felt and how exciting it felt like recording for the first time. And it might not sound great. And it's not a cult classic, but it's, there's just something about that experience that you put the tape that you weren't jaded at all at that point, you know, and it feels like as maybe not sincere as it feels looking back at it in that moment, it probably felt like it meant everything, you know, you're ready to, uh, to give that to the head of Sony or Warner or whatever and say, sign me. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a negative feeling. I don't have a, a gut reaction to it, but it, it's cringy in the sense of I've gotten older. I have a lot more experiences and I feel, you know, and yeah. like the lyrics, you know, the lyrics were bad. My singing was bad, you know? Yeah. And like, and I knew that it, I would say from poison the well too is like, well, I sure. Yeah. You know? Sure. And I think that that's where it is with me. I do have a fondness for recording it. I yeah. have a fondness for the fact that I was in a band, you know, yeah. as a young high schooler, you know, which is not super common, like not, not a band that would have recorded then, something. Least, yeah. yeah. Not a band that would have recorded something. Yeah. Um, it's funny because Dewey has been texting me the last couple of days and being like, yo, when we, when are we getting a jelly donut episode? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, first I need somebody to actually send that demo to me. Cause I don't have it anymore. That's neither here nor there, but yeah, I think that I think for the most part, yeah, it feels good, but it also, I don't know. You, you have you seen that meme that's floating around? That's like, you know, you can either have $10 million right now, or you can go back to when you were six with all the knowledge that you have now, you okay. know, uh, that that's kind of the feeling that I have with it. And I think like a lot of music, there's a lot of complex emotions that maybe you got over a long time ago that yeah. are still attached to some of that music and attached to some of those memories. And so I would imagine with a record like this, 
how it must feel to no, not only have made these songs that long ago based on feelings and situations that may not even exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, but then you've also like played them thousands of times. True. True. To people. I mean, you yeah. Know? You know, that feeling of like just being in the studio, having to record the take a hundred times by the time you have to play alive, you're like, I'm already over this. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, but yeah, that would be an interesting question if I was ever interviewing, um, you know, not even anybody from this band, but that's a, that's a good, that's a good fallback interview question. You know, Hey, let's go back and talk about your first release. How yeah. do you feel about it today? You know, I got to imagine yeah, the majority hate it, but I mean, like one's another fun tangent here, but looking back at like still life for me, that's still like, that's our best. Like we, we've never been better. Like it doesn't sound great, but I have that same feeling that I told you if I had to show someone my first band from a, you know, cassette or a CD in my car, like, there, I have such a fondness for that, and the emotion was so raw and pure. And yes, like a lot of it still connects with me today. And but I was obviously 26 at that time <laughs> writing that. But it's still like we've done better sonically, but I don't think we've ever done better emotionally. You know, in terms I, of I love still life. how it was yeah. captured. You know, it mm -hmm. was just like getting in a room in a couple of weeks, and that whole thing was written. Now it's like you've got we we really spent a lot of time, and I don't, I don't know. Like I love what we're doing, but I, I still connect in that to that in a different way, you know. So maybe yeah. I mean, once you get them on the podcast, we'll find out the answer to that question. <laughs> we'll find out for sure. Um, so yeah, I'm not really doing a track by track on this guy, but I do think that there are some songs that it would be stupid to not talk about. Um, and you know, the biggest one for me is uh, artist rendering of me. Okay. Whenever we talk about that whole um, in the Nodes of Ranvier episode uh, that came out a few weeks ago, me and Buddy were talking about how like we I had sort of me me and this girl had sort of connected because I was always like down and out and upset and depressed about everything and sort of like angsty about and like that's the stuff that she liked and then the relationship fell apart once i was like in a relationship and became happier and more positive yeah, <laughs> you know that yeah. it, then it all sort of fell apart and uh it always reminds me of this song where you know he's he's doing the talking thing and when he just gets into that he has this like really self-righteous tone and he's like i could never swallow your false ideals of a lifeless happy ending um and it's so, so funny, good, all dude. these years later, when I hear that song, I absolutely still go back mentally to that exact same situation. So I had no, I had a lot of notes on this song, but I, I do think that's like, uh, from this album, that's one of the biggest parts. Like that's the part you know that if you're, you know, they're playing Furnace Fest or whatever, that's the part everybody's running to the stage to sing along. Oh, yeah. But if this this line, and there are a couple other ones as well um, throughout their discography, and but especially in this CD um, or this album, where it made me question like, is Poison a Well a Christian band? Are there Christians in this band? Is it a product of the time that some of the lyrics seem maybe like that? Or is it maybe just me uh, deducing based on what I knew was going on at the time with the Christian metal scene and everything that, like there's just certain things that made me feel like, it, 
did they have any ties to that scene outside of just playing with some of those bands? So I went over to Google, as you do, and the first thing I typed in was, is Poison the Well? And it pre-fills a Christian band. <laughs> no definitive results on that. Uh, a lot of back and forth on like Yahoo Answers and things like that. I don't think they were, you know, outwardly saying they were or anything, but um, I do know they played with a lot of those like solid state bands and tooth and nail bands and things like that. So um, I don't know. What do you, any thoughts that you have on that? Well, I definitely heard of them. Uh, you know, the, the old school way that we used to find out about new bands was by buying a CD of a band that you already knew, flip all the way to the back of it and see what bands Those they think, right? Yeah. So you have, a, you have a pretty good chance of the bands that they toured with or thought enough about to thank in their in their liner notes. Those bands are, you know, hopefully going to be something that you dig also. Uh, and that's how I found out about Poison the Well because everybody, every there's two bands that every metalcore band from this period thanks in their liner notes, and that's Poison the Well and Zayo. Yep. Right? Like, it's like, like clockwork. You'll almost always find those two bands in the thank yous because they were just always on tour, always always out um and so there was never any way back then like there's not stuff like there is now like you could type is so and so a christian band but all you're ever going to get is like forum posts yep or yep. as i found out on my episode of roach coach that it's uh you know songmeanings.com <laughs> you know might pull that might might have that debate raging um but yeah it was always kind of a flip up in the air me personally when i was that age I was pretty much intentionally searching out Christian bands, right? So Poison the Well, I had heard basically back then if any band used like the F word or, you know, uh, used any type of profanity, yeah. then you that that was like kind of how you knew they weren't a Christian band, right? Which I don't think they use any profanity, right? Uh, throughout, at least in this album, but I, I don't even think throughout the... The they of, do in okay. they do in um, Tear from the Red. Oh, okay. And I think you come before you, but I don't think they print it in the lyric books. I think they just say it, but they don't print it because these didn't get like parental advisory stickers, and there's so little profanity in it that you would hardly even notice anyway. But yeah. um, there so are I was a looking points in the lyrics for this one where he says, "I think crucifixion is mentioned a couple times, but it's used in a way that doesn't sound religious at all. I think it's just imagery." And actually, when you're watching on Spotify and it has the lyrics and it lights up all the lyrics like you're doing karaoke, um, mm -hmm. it says inaudible for any time it says crucifixion for some reason. That that was interesting. That, that is interesting. Um, yeah, I don't think that I I don't think that I ever thought that they were uh, religious, but there were a lot of bands at the time that were like I the first time I heard Asley dying, I didn't really realize that they were religious yeah. at least you know at the time. Same. And, um, there's, there's, you know, and I think that, that, I think that's really how this whole, the whole Christian metalcore thing, which is unrelated to a, to a degree, but I think that's how it got so popular is like bands like Norma Jean weren't like, weren't marketed as Christian bands. And, you know, everybody yeah. kind of knew that Zayo was, even though like a few years into their career, they kind of weren't anymore, you know, um, but yeah, I loved yeah. every band on Solid State and Tooth and Nail, and I was not a religious person at all. I, most of them I didn't even know they were religious bands until I understood what Tooth and Nail and Solid State was. Right. So, and I also think that because they were on Trust Kill, because back then you did judge things kind of based on what oh, yeah. label it was. When people right? knew so labels. Like... The compilation albums of the label, you would just be like, all right, I love this label. Here's a compilation of 10 songs, and nine of them are going to be rippers. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's always the best song on the album, right? You can yeah. get burned sometimes when you, when you're like you buy the album, and you're like, oh, okay, it's just that song on the compilation is the one that I liked. Or yeah, right. worst case scenario, you love the song that's on the compilation, but they never put it on an album. It's like a B side <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is. Uh, but I remember, yeah, this being on trust kill so like i didn't know that i didn't know that hope's fall had started off as a christian band like on their first album um but because they were on trust kill the thought never really crossed my mind that would have been a thing and it was it was largely the same with poison the well i just considered you know because like back then everything was in terms of like christian and secular right so like i knew that like trust kill had secular bands ferret had secular bands so if you wanted to be a good boy you would listen to solid state bands right <laughs> um or tooth and nail bands or face down records bands and and that sort of thing um so poison wall wasn't playing those church circuits that a lot of the bands were doing then <laughs> i mean i honestly i would not be surprised if they didn't play a church at some point because not because they had a religious message but i remember back then uh, a lot of these, some of the solid state bands would like be on a tour that wasn't all Christian bands, but they would still get booked in the, yeah. in the, the, the youth group, you know, tour circuit. And so they would just get the other bands in and have them play anyway. You I've know, played many of um, churches, man. It's, it was a wild time back then that that was a yeah. thing. They did let some screaming band go play among the pews, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's where all the debates come from, right? Because you saw X band at, at such and such venue, and it's like, oh, okay, um, I guess these guys are Christian because I saw them at a church, you know. And then you, and and then it turns into the. It's so funny because I, well, I had always a lovely think, song called "I Come Blood." Yeah, I always think. I well, I always think back to bands like the Agony Scene or He Is Legend that were never really like religious bands, yeah. but they were they were on solid state. You know, I guess I and so people. That Legend was on Solid State. That's wild. Yeah, yeah that they wild. started on Solid State, and yeah. uh, but I mean, there was never any of the, there was never any of that content. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that when we're listening to this record, that that would be a thought that would come into your head, like, yeah, maybe this is just because of talk of like crucifixion and 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 things of that nature. Um, but man, lyrically, this is like really brutal too. Cause when I was listening to it this time around, you know, uh, without getting into like a political statement or, or to make any sort of judgment one way or the other, there are words that they use on these rec on this record that like, you can't even get away with saying on YouTube now. You, you know what I mean? Like, like lots of, lots of talk of suicide, you know, yeah. um, God, you got your eyes. there is, yeah, it feels it's... like the emotion of a 16 year old writing the lyrics and i say that in the best possible way which probably sounds bad but it does feel like he's feeling every single word with such passion that you could only feel if it was the first time that you felt that emotion oh yeah i mean you get to like slice paper wrists and the song starts off with when you read this i will not be the same yeah and you know there's something there's something that had me shook in this as reading through the lyrics is like now reading through it and it's like it really feels like I'm, I'm i'm super curious if like who in his life that he lost or if it is just him kind of creating this story or whatever you want to call it but it really seems like he's reassuring himself that it wasn't his fault throughout slice paper wrists and i am mm-hmm. um, yeah it is it's a super dark song yeah, it's very like yeah. I can't even figure out like if it's a breakup or if it's not a. I've always that's one of the question I always ask myself when I listen to Poison the Wells. Like, is it a breakup? And then of course, if you decide that it is a breakup, then you're like, it, are all of these breakup songs about the same person? You know, or is it a different breakup every time? Different people. 
Yeah, because if it's a different person every single time, I think I found the problem. Um, but, I, you know, then you go into songs like Nerdy, which, I mean, we've all been 14 before, right? All the time. That, 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 that special someone. Song. Yeah. Yeah. Why this do your eyes paralyze that, like, me? Like anybody I was dating in my high school years, they were listening to Dashboard Confessionals and I was playing them nerdy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, like and it's it's so funny now because like even I as a fan, as much as I love this record, I love this album. Like reading the lyrics and actually thinking about what it's about, it's like very, very, very cringe. In that sort of like, and it's only cringe because I was like, I would have wrote this down on a note. Yeah, and it, it would have been the greatest thing ever. Like it if you been. were to write a line that said like, "Sleep on porches painted as beautiful as you," you would yeah. be like standing in front of the cafeteria because you just won the poetry competition and like sixth grade yeah i mean it's like dude i remember your face imprinted on angels <laughs> you know it's, like it's it's insane That's what I mean. This song meant so much to me, and it still does. Um, it, as a sophomore, I felt every word of this. But when I look back at the lyrics, I'm like, it is kind of, it feels of that time, which I'm still okay with. Like, yes, as like a dude, you know, closer to 40 than I am to 30, if I were to hear a band my own age write these lyrics, I'd be like, what are you doing? But I still yeah. love this album, man. I still love these lyrics. I do too. I mean, even even when they get creepy, you know, I'm infatuated with this. I'm infatuated with you, you know. That um, word is the word that, for this album, like, I think defines it. Because it's like, assuming the age and assuming that what we're saying is, like, somewhere directionally right. Like, he probably looks back and this says, I wasn't really in love. It was truly just infatuation, you know. But right, I've got I just, nine songs about it. Right, I wrote nine songs about it, and it's just... Um, Oh, it's just wild. I mean, yeah, and I think that these lyrics also are cool because something that was sort of happening around that time, and um, you know, somebody's gonna, somebody else is gonna have an opinion about this, I'm sure. But um, a lot of bands that wrote lyrics like this at the time had very misogynistic lyrics. You oh, know, yeah. I remember going to a, uh, I remember going to a show. And I don't remember who it was like. I think it, it might have been Beloved and Zayo, uh, and a band, I think it was a local or somebody that was pretty close. For, we never heard of him before, and the dude gets up on stage, he's like, this song is about, it, like, unironically, this dude gets up on stage, is like, this song is about killing a girl and then taking her dead body back to my house and dressing it up like an angel. Do people clap after that? <laughs> Yeah, I don't yeah, really. Sure. I think. I mean. I, I think. I think. Even back then, we all just sort of stood there awkwardly, but like probably still would have bought a demo, you know, because the, <laughs> you know, because breakdowns, right? Like it was. It was just weird because I mean, you look at like sort of, you know, and this is an extreme example, but like Glassjaw, you know, yeah, um, yeah those are you, you know, very, you know. Oh, now that I think about it, what year did uh, everything you want to know about Silence come out? Did it come out after this? Um, if there only there was some way I could check instantly. Um, Let me go to the library real quick yeah. and I'm gonna log on. 
Yeah, let me get out the Dewey Decimal System. Let's see. G, Glassjaw. I uh, found the car here, card here. Yeah, everything you wanted to know about Silence came out in 2000. But I think it's interesting that even, you know, we were talking about how Poison the Well didn't have the tough guy image or anything like that. Um, Glassjaw was kind of like trying to do this, but also still trying to keep the tough guy image, you know, too. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I love that record. I just, I don't really advertise that. I love that record cause it's problematic, you know, but like, um, with this record, especially what I, it's kind of, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier about how you don't really have these delusions of like being in like ACDC or kiss and playing to thousands of people when you're listening to this, um, you're, you're like, no, me and my friends could probably do this. And I think lyrically as well, it's very like, yeah, I would write songs like this. Yeah. I mean, mean? even when you think about lower levels, like I would look at a band when I was in high school, like unearth or as I dying and and I'm like, yeah, no, I can't kill switch engage. Like, yeah, I can't do that yet. (laughs) Yeah. I can't do that now. But poison the was that like, okay, this seems realistic, you know? Yeah. And the songs are about girls in like a kind of like lovesick puppy kind of way. And you know, our boys definitely got some issues with like self-loathing, you know, and, and not feeling good enough, which, you know, is uh highly relatable um and yeah so i think in a lot of ways this is a very definitive record of that time in my life even though i wasn't listening to these i wasn't listening to these songs when i was in high school at least not early in high school um and i probably wouldn't have even known what to do with them then anyway right um but I remember really falling in love with this record. I went to uh, I went to the park one day, uh, Macedon State Park, which is was right by where I used to live. Somebody was coming to pick me up, and I don't know if I have this memory or not, a memory correct or not, but I think it was a. I actually think it was like a girl that I was trying to like be more than friends with, and um, I think she was coming to pick me up. But like my dad had dropped me off, and I was like, I don't know, I'll just walk the trail. But I didn't do that. I had this like messenger bag with like a disc man in it, and I remember I sat down and I like read all of the lyrics. Um, I read all of the. I sat under a huge tree and like listened to the album and like read all the lyrics. And I'm like looking at the looking at the artwork and like. Really, Which I didn't you know, know the artwork was by Jacob Bannon from Converge. Like I just found that out today. And you look at it and you're like, how did I not know that? Exactly. Exactly. Because I didn't know back then like that he was doing all those bands or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so funny because when I first saw that cover, I thought that it was like a glass of milk or something. And (laughs) it took me, it took me forever to actually see the skull, you know, like, um, and it's like a cow skull, I think. Um, anyway, but yeah, I remember I, listened to that record i read all the lyrics or whatever and it like made me like so confident so like when this girl did eventually come to pick me up because i didn't drive because i was a loser um i remember when she did come to pick me up i had this like super emotionally deep you know at least i remember it being super emotionally deep if i went back and watched a replay now i'd be like oh my god i'm so (laughs) stupid um but you know, I remember having this like really, really, really deep conversation with her and her being like really impressed and like we dated for a while and and so I was like, gee, thanks, Poison the Well. You know, <laughs> like you guys you guys really did me a solid there, you know. Yeah. Uh, so for that reason alone, you know, it's it's one of the greatest records of all time. All time, all time, man. Um but there are yeah. a couple other songs on here that I think like are definitely worth mentioning, like 
for example, another thing I just found out today was um, the song Not With An Arm's Length. Um, I always loved, there's these like super low-fi sounding backing vocals. Yes. And I just assumed at the time, like any person that had that type of scream was probably the bass player doing vocals. Yeah. But apparently it was the first two screamers that they brought back in for those parts. Mm. And it sounds like they recorded it on like a, a payphone or something like that and sent them the file or something like it sounds so like low in the mix and grainy and distorted but it's perfect for the part not my yeah. favorite song but super cool to hear that they brought them back for that yeah totally um it's interesting too because their their old singer on their um on their distance makes the heart grow fonder yeah um it, you know them having you know i i loved the vocals on that um very almost raw, uh, very like very raw very very raspy very zeo you know what i mean yeah. like um uh, that i always loved that but uh i heard that record years later and then it was weird hearing like slightly altered versions of songs that yeah. ended up being on opposite of december um or like just like certain parts um it was always really weird but i i it is interesting if they had had those same vocals even on this record i probably would have loved it just as much you know <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is very, very good vocalist transition early on in the career. You know, usually yeah. that's very jarring difference, but, uh, they, they knocked it out of the park here, but yeah, not within arm's length is an awesome song too. It, it's also like cringy in an endearing, like, yep, I went through that sort of way. Yeah. Cause it's totally about like being friend zoned. Yeah. Right. I mean, at the end of it, song. yeah. And it's so, it's so dramatic you know at the end where he's just like i'm disgusted by repetition i accept this curse of friendship your friend friendship <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, like, <laughs> bro. I just think I think maybe she just doesn't. Maybe she's just not into you, you know. Um, but it's like, but no, you it's know, a curse. we all felt this like in high school. Oh, we did, we did. Like, I'm gonna say it's cringe because like it it makes me distance myself from it. Where I was like, oh, I've no, you know, on some weird subconscious level, I'm like, oh yeah, if I make fun of it, it makes it like it didn't happen to me. But like, yeah, right. it happened all, it's like, dude, I told you I saw your face in, in, in printed on angels faces. And you still just want to be friends. Like you, you, we can't just be friends. You know, Brandon, if I'm like, Hey man, I just want to let you know that your eyes, they paralyze me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we might oh, still be able to be friends after that, but it's going to be a little weird, you know? <laughs> It's like they watch like a '90s rom-com, and like the best line from it, they're like, "All right, that's the that's the line for the song," you know. I always thought it'd be interesting if they remade the movie High Fidelity, <laughs> but it's all the music is metalcore. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's a lot. Like, I mean, it's a lot like my solo episodes of this podcast. I don't know what came first, the music or the misery. You know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, this 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 is an absolute perfect picture of Midwestern, maybe you know, middle to lower class high school, and you're 14 to 15 years old. Like it is a it, yeah. it is a it is a perfect Polaroid shot of that. And you write yeah. nine songs that you hope that someday she'll hear in her radio on the drive home. That's right. We've all been and there. And change your mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yo, yo, call me. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> maybe she'll pull up the podcast one day. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, that's uh, the the last two songs to me. They feel a little bit different tonally than the rest of the album. Like they still fit perfect. They make sense, but they do feel a little different to me. I look at like uh, I think so midair. I took some notes here on the side when I was scrambling for my laptop here. Uh, midair love song. Uh, it's like it feels just like a a headbanger the whole song. Like it's one that I think when I look back at it, I don't really have any attachment to this song. I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't want to say it was like a song I would skip, but it feels just so much like a solid headbanger the whole time. Uh, it's not changing tempos a lot like a lot of the other songs do. Um, mm-hmm. It's just just a mid tempo like headbanger. But it has that one epic pick scratch uh, where it goes from oh, the yeah. clean guitar to that like pick scratch that slowly comes in and it comes in with that singing, the uh, emotions catch up with me, but I'm too fast for them. great high school line um but that yeah that pig scratch is epic dude (laughs) it's so good uh my mirror no longer reflects is such a good closer yeah Um, it's kind of upbeat i feel like especially from the beginning like the guitar once again like that song feels out of place but it it makes sense but it does feel like it's just got that upbeat like this feels different than the rest of the album but it's an awesome closer for sure another love song i think well, yeah, and I think also it's it's fun. Yeah, it's it, but it's it's the it's the the rage one, right? It's the um, because all of these all of these situations always end in wrath. I think that I think and I think that's the that's the darker side of of this kind of music and, and those types of lyrics is it almost always ends in wrath. Um, but I also think that obviously you know with it being music, being able to express those feelings and being able to express that anger and frustration. You know, um, yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily always mean that you like hate women. It means that you're mad and you were mad about this specific situation and you chose to write a song about it instead of like stand outside of her house, you know, as she walks out the door. Right. Um, but I do. I love how hard it comes in. Choke on your forked tongue as you lie to me again. <laughs> Say it's too early to show how we feel. Just shove me away. But what can be said to someone who can't hear or comprehend your actions? I've lost faith in what I've been told. It's all a lie. Yeah. Oh, it's just, and the last isn't the last like words like in me. I think. <laughs> yeah, he says blood stains on the wall with disfigured forms. End me, like. <laughs> but the most beautiful clean guitar on the entire record, in my opinion, is the guitar at the end of this song. It comes in with a second guitar that's got like the kind of harmony on it, and oh, it's yeah. just so pretty for her. there's no other better word for it. it's just a pretty part while he's yelling that just dark in the parts wow yeah. yeah i mean it, it really is a ride it's the perfect length for a record too of this type oh, 28 yeah. nine minutes songs. nine Love songs it. you're just you know you're in and out and what i like about this too is the tear from the red the next album is is largely the same way 
you know, uh, very, I'm very short that. to the point, 30 minutes, 19 seconds. So, like, uh, I remember when I bought the I bought the vinyl, like, remaster or whatever that they did of both of these records. And I'm pretty sure, like, one song or one record is on side A and the other record is on side B, you know, <laughs> like. And I'm like, dude, perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, perfect. And they, they even sent they sent an audio CD version of it, too, and both the albums are just on the same disc. Um, <laughs> it's just wild. And it's weird that they threw that CD in with both albums for free in yeah. with the vinyl record that I paid 20 bucks for, thinking back that I paid $20 each for these CD versions when they came now out. Now you pay, like, $9 for every song that's ever come out, ever. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Spotify or whatever it costs. But, um, yep. yeah, it's a short album. There's, like... To skip anything would be a disservice. Like, if there's any song that you like less than any of the other songs, it's over in three minutes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you you don't have anything to worry about. There's not going to be like an, a 15 minute, you know, uh, song right in the middle of the album. Look yeah. at you, Norma Jean. Or yeah. the last song that always ends up being inevitably the longest song in every band's you know album. Um, the question I have, the only question I have for you that I haven't asked throughout this is. Um, uh -oh. And maybe this changes because learning that you didn't hear this as your first Poison Well album, mm -hmm. um, Poison Well definitely goes a lot more experimental as they get into the next few albums, and yeah. especially where they ended. And I, I kind of fell off after the first, I would say, three albums, and then mm -hmm. only over the last maybe five years or so. Um, like I had heard the other albums, I just never really spent a lot of time with them. I just recently had gone back over the last five years and really dug into them, and I, they only got better with age. Like they're they more from a musicianship talent and from the songwriting and everything else, I think they got better, but I always looked at uh, this album as the definitive poison the well album. I'm curious in your mind, is it their definitive album for you? Is it just nostalgia? And if not, what is the definitive poison the well album? Oh, that's hard, man. I think for most people, this is the definitive poison the well album. However, baked in nostalgia, right? <laughs> hot take. Well, it's it, you know some people might call it a hot take, but I honestly think "Tear from the Red" more iconic in my yeah. mind as as this band's uh, shining. I can see moment. the argument for that, or you come before you being. I don't know what's more commercially successful, but being the ones that seem to be more popular um, among the Poison Well albums. For me, it's just that. Tear from the Red is darker. Yeah. Not that the first record is not pretty dark, dark, dark too. <laughs> yeah, like Opposite of December is dark, but it's dark in like a we're just experiencing pain. Well, yeah, like we're still experiencing pain for the first time in our life. We're not quite so melodramatic. We're not, you know, we they are very melodramatic, but like it's all sort of new. Like it's a new experience, yeah. and then you go into you go into an album like Tear from the Red, and he's jaded from those experiences in the opposite of December. He's, he's older. He's, he's more yeah. Us. He's more cynical. He literally opens it up. But I adore her. This will never happen, you yeah. know. And uh, you know, we we may have to continue this conversation if I do a Tear from the Red episode because <laughs> yeah. I could go I could go on about that record, but. Uh. I mean, that's an interesting perspective, and I, that's kind of what I was wondering. Is, is it just, is it 100% nostalgia for me, you know? Yeah, it might be. Um, I think it's an incredible album. I mean, and also remember, and this is something that, something that I wish that I had reinforced more uh, when I was on discography discussion. It's okay for three or four records to be great. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? All of their own. Right. I mean, a lot, a lot of bands, the best you get is like one or two songs that are incredible. Right. Uh, But there are some bands like Poison the Well, where I pretty much like all of their stuff for different reasons. And the world is complex enough to where I can love all of them equally. Yeah. But, you know, they just evoke different emotions. You know, some days you want to have steak for dinner and other nights you want to have pasta. Right. It's all still really good. Uh, you know, if you cook as well as I do. And but, to that point, I mean, I think um, Opposite of December and like Tropic Rock could be two different bands. And oh, yeah. they okay like both those bands. They just happen to be the same band, you know? Yeah, Tropic Rock is chef's kiss. Yeah. And like that's one that, like I said, I didn't spend too much time with until like the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. I think they, I think like kind of how we opened this up talking about how, you know, it's really remarkable that they sounded like this all the way back in 1999 and influenced like all of these bands. Um, and I think that's part of why after you come before you, they shifted away from that because by that point, they, they probably didn't feel like they were doing anything original. Yeah. Anymore. And, and every other band remember. was doing that. So, they had to bring in some banjo and some weird percussive stuff and like <laughs> hey man you know some 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 guys are a little bit country some are some are a little bit rock and roll you know <laughs> you know um one other thing i think i haven't shared about this yet and uh i'm almost embarrassed to say it one more thing i learned today although i've very much on any top 10 list of heavy albums i've always bar none put this album on there I never knew this album was called The Opposite of December, A Season of Separation until today. The, a Season of Separation, I never saw that anywhere. And it, but it was on the Wikipedia, and it was like on a bunch of stuff that I when I was looking up stuff on online. I'm like, where was that? Was that even on the CD? I don't remember that being on the CD. Right. Um, it is on the CD. I believe it's on, it's, it's on the interior. I've got it behind me somewhere, um, and I... I, I should go and look. Maybe it's I haven't at arranged... the top here too. Yeah, it's actually so it's written yeah, it's at the in there. very top, but kind of hard to see. And maybe it's a colorblind thing, but like I can't even tell it says a season. I can just barely vaguely see the separation above December. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Season of separation. I don't know if I remember that or not. Um, but I would I would definitely get it confused with Zayo's the splinter shards, the birth of separation, right? <laughs> Everybody dramatic dramatically there. long album titles man that they're they're incredible but you know you know you didn't know that though so i guess confirm poser i'm gonna have to go find somebody else to do this episode with you know it's i never love. put the full album name on all my all my top 10 list man <laughs> no it's all good um brandon thank you thank for you coming dude. on and talking about this record with me because like it means a lot to me and i know it meant a lot to you too you and i have been kicking around the idea of doing this episode for a while while. and i was gonna do a solo one but then i was like i don't want to do a rehash i also like something that something that occurred to me when we were doing the nodes episode we were talking about past relationships i was kind of like i hope that like nobody hears this stuff and thinks that i'm still like big mad about any of it you know what i mean it's it's literally like i'm listening to it's more of like i'm listening to a record and i'm realizing that like oh yeah that happened you know, like that, that. That's why I, you know, because sometimes I go back to some of these old songs. I'm like, why do I relate to this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not dating anybody. I'm not. You know, I'm in a t- totally. I'm on a totally different path than I than I used to be on. Um, so but it takes you back. It, it's like a time capsule. 
It does, and it's interesting. Um, I think that's been the most fun thing about doing the podcast this way versus like sort of reviewing albums is is really finding out what that connection actually was and 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 why it still connects with you now. You know, it's like a yeah. that playlist can actually be a collection of experiences that sort of reminds you of like how you became the way that you that you are yeah. now you know everybody's um, got that walkman story of like popping the you know popping in the headphones and just this song and this moment of you walking down the street listening to this music meaning so much to you because something that you're going through and it was those fresh new feelings that felt so raw so when you hear it again all these years later like you remember that feeling of like experiencing something for the first time you know and that's why i love about playing music still to this day is like it's like this little time machine that I get to jump into and do this 30 minutes of something that I did for the last 20 years and it feels oh, yeah. the same every single time you know and just like when I listen to this album it feels the same as when I listen you know listen to it back in high school um, and to your point you know I'm in a very different place in my life but it still makes me remember how how that felt you know yeah for sure well, this is not the last time you guys are going to hear from Brandon on the podcast. I'm going to hit him up all the time, just like I did on the last podcast. So I'm I'm always ready, man. There's no there's no escape. I might have to send him a new laptop, but besides that, you know, <laughs> yeah. we should be. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. Like I said in the intro, my name is Daniel Terry. And the opposite of December by Poison the Well continues to impress me. Even to this day, it's just one of those records that you can just pop on and it transports you to a totally different time and place in your life. And I think that's what this podcast is really kind of all about as cheesy as it may sound. Also, like I said in the intro, if you guys like Brandon, I'm going to have him on probably a lot of time in the tenure of this podcast. You know, we get to season 17 and, you know, there's Brandon and we're talking about another record that we both go gaga over. If you guys want to hear more of Brandon, though, in a more musical sense, definitely check out American Standards Dopamine Dealer. It is an awesome little EP and uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. And if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you're subscribed to it. A lot of the listens that I get on the podcast are for people that are not subscribed. So if you like the podcast, make sure you're subscribed to it on your favorite podcasting app. Maybe leave it a review if your app allows you to review a podcast. Or, you know, if you just uh, want to talk or have any questions, you can send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on my Discord. I'm hanging out in Discord all the time. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. And, of course, I'm on all of your favorite social medias, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's going to be links to all of that in the show notes. So I hope to hear from you soon. But if I don't, that's okay because you are guaranteed to hear from me next week. Next week.